0: Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Newism podcast where we talk to social innovators and disruptors to discover how they would shape a new, more inclusive economic system fit for the modern world. Our guest today is Chris Underhill, who, like Mel, has worked as a social entrepreneur for many years. He has established a wide range of organisations and has focused since 2000 on mental health care delivery through his organisation Basic Needs and through his latest venture, Cities Rise, which focuses on how to promote mental well being for the growing number of people who live in the world's
1: cities. Uh, Chris, great ah. to, to hear from you. How are you?
0: Too. I'm very well. Very well. I've been looking Good. forward to this uh, discussion.
1: Yeah, yeah. Me, me too. So, where, where I'm coming from really is that the, the world's economy is no longer fit for purpose. Uh, a lot of people agree with that. Economists agree with that, but then they try and just fix the current system. Nobody's talking about what a new system would would, would, would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, my view is that there are lots of people like yourself and other social entrepreneurs who are actually walking walk out there, um, doing things, but it's not actually connected into a particular uh, a theory. So what what I'm doing is speaking to people weekly. You know, if you had blank bits of paper, what would the, the, the new economy look like? Um, what would be the key ingredients which were fundamental to it? So if you look at the economists from the past, Adam Smith, Karl Marx, it doesn't matter what the political uh, view was, they were based on a set, of, a set of values. So I really want to kind of dig into what, what uh, the, the values on uh, a new economy might be and indeed how it might work. So I was very, very keen to talk to you because of the work that you've done. But maybe just to to start with, uh, Chris, if you could just give a very kind of um, uh, quick uh, resumé of the work you're doing and the areas you've been concentrating on.
0: I've been working uh, as a social entrepreneur um, since the early 1970s. um, And the first organization that I started was in 1978. If sustainability and longevity is anything to go by, that organization is still in full operation today and is much larger than when I started it. It's an organization called Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, thrive.org.uk. So, since those early days uh, um, of starting Thrive in 1978 to today, essentially looked at social niches, social uh, requirements, sometimes very big requirements in society, I sought to build organizations either on my own or with others uh, that would go some way to meeting the requirements or needs of those organizations or those problems. So that's essentially where I'm at. Of late, meaning start going back to 2000, I was, I've was i created a number of organizations in the field of mental health. One organisation is called Basic Needs, basicneeds.org. And coming right up to date, I'm working on the question of what happens to mentally ill people in the big city, the big city in the north or the south, as those big cities populate and become even more populous than they are today. Keeping in mind that by something like 2050, uh, we are going to be seeing global population of 75% of global population living in those cities. In other words, rapid urbanization. So how what is going to happen to mentally ill people and are there solutions which we can work on. I'm co-founder there, co-founder of an organization called Cities Rise. cities-rise.org, rise.org. That is an organization, mostly at the moment headquartered in the US, which is working in a number of different cities around the world.
1: It's absolutely fabulous the organizations you've set up and, and, and the work that you, you've done and, 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 and continue to do. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at the... Early economists are people like Adam Smith and so on. Adam Smith is, is obviously the, the person that um, people use as the kind of the founder of, of, of capitalism, mm-hmm. whatever your perspective is, he was, he was a, a bad guy or a good guy. But, but one of the things he did was it, it was about creating money um, on the basis that it was good for society. Mm-hmm. Now um, there seems to be an issue now in the world where money is simply being used for the sake of money and that well-being, the well-being of society, the areas that you, you've been involved in, are actually being completely excluded. So it's not about for the well-being of society, it's just simply for making more money. Mm. And so therefore the issue of mental health, which seems to be increasing in terms of profile or awareness now in different countries in the world, um, seems, to be, seems to be being discussed in one of, the, one of the areas in any economy that you should have should be about um a good mental health and proper well-being is that something you're detecting as a change in attitude um uh, over the years or do you think it's still something that's kind of um uh, forgotten about or persona non grata
0: Mm. well if you if you go back to right back to 1978 when i started thrive um i was 29 28, 29 in those days, I'm 69 now. Uh, there, the idea was horticulture, gardening, land use, agriculture, and people, and particularly disabled people, people in their rehabilitation. And uh, we found ourselves often working with people with mental illness, mental health problems, and also uh, with a number of other mental disabilities, um, which uh, generally come under the category of learning disability or such phrase like that. So what we found through a surrogate, which was gardening, what we found was that lots of people talk about their well their well-being, their mental health, um, in the more general or generic sense, without having to, as it were, stray into the problems of stigma. So even in those early days, these important surrogates were, or proxies, if you prefer, were very important. Now, as you know. Gardening is a hobby which many do in the UK and which gives them enormous pleasure. So denying them the opportunity to garden because maybe they had a physical disability, got into a wheelchair, whatever it was, maybe they have become part of a big population of people with dementia, foothills of Alzheimer's and so on. Being able to go back to gardening through good design, both tools design and garden beds design, uh, was a really important feature of the work brought tons of people, and still does today, I'm very pleased to say, a lot of happiness. Now, that happiness, of course, is very approximate to approximate to mental well-being. And so even in those very early days, that is the case. Directly to your question, I have certainly noticed since the mid-90s onwards that people have become more interested in and less frightened of mental illness as such. Then, of course, there has been a wider movement of people who have begun to appreciate that your mental well being is as important as your physical well being. So, those are two different kinds of movements which have been going on and which I've been able to detect. Perhaps worth pointing out that mental well being isn't the same as mental illness. Uh, and of, although, of course, there are important relationships between the two. Maybe it's about being on a spectrum, but nevertheless, at the end of the day, these are different issues. And one is a mass population issue. And one relates to the proper treatment and care of people who have an illness, which if, if properly treated, allows them to recover.
1: So, so we were to concentrate on the, on the health side, particularly the illness side. Mm. You probably would say that generally in societies there's a greater awareness and therefore, the, the proper treatments, whatever they are, are, are now part of kind of government health strategies and planning.
0: Yes, and, and what's been very important there, of course, has been that a proper and appropriate uh, therapies, often referred to as talking therapies. One example of which would be cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, but there are many others. The important point there is that these therapies have become equally important to treatment as much as a pharmacological approach. Um, And that of course has then opened up the opportunity for psychiatrists and psychologists and uh, other mental health practitioners to work with a much wider variety of patients and to have a much wider variety of treatments on offer, including mixed or hybrid treatments, partly pharmacological and partly talking. And so those are very important additions to the discussion as a result of all of that and more work besides. So certainly our own society uh, is much more used to talking about mental illness than it was. And generally, I would argue much less frightened, but that's not true for all over the world. That, that's certainly true for our own country as we speak at the moment. Doesn't mean to say it's all perfect. Well, you know that, but... Um,
1: Indeed. Right. Uh, yeah
0: but nevertheless it's much more improved than say when I first started
1: so, so we're making some good progress and there's a general awareness and I think always awareness in whatever area is important because when people begin to understand something they're much more likely to kind of embrace it and, 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 and not to be so frightened of it mm-hmm. um, but it's it, it's interesting because again with this new ism that we're talking about it's, it's, it's about the, the the values in society so it, what you're describing, I think, is that people in society um, in any animism would need to kind of appreciate other people, their neighbors, their friends, whatever, and and um be appreciative of, of their illnesses and understand them. And that would be a key part of any of, of a value of a new economy driving forward, that we kind of understood each other, understood illnesses and, and particularly in the area of mental health.
0: Yes, and I, I get that point, and I think that's right. Uh, and then, you know, I think it's up to those of us who think about this kind of stuff and work in it to take account of, for example, the following. On the one hand, you've got this greater understanding to be celebrated, and, um, you know, it's hard work for, hard one. Um, and on the other hand, societies, some societies, are moving rapidly towards greater loneliness Um, and so uh, you know it's quite common for us to talk about in the United Kingdom for example households of one lots of people now live on their own and um, something like half those people live on their own uh, find that to be a highly conducive way of life because they've got the means to be able to live they have the social ability to be able to get out and make friends and have a good social life. The other half probably find, and they may be the older people in our society, they often find it hard to get out, find it quite lonely. And so you've got, on the one hand, a greater understanding of mental illness. On the other hand, you've got some important drivers towards mental illness, which, of which loneliness, social isolation, and poverty would be good examples. And so it's important for us as we juggle with this new economy, as it were, and try to bring about the best effects of it. It's important for us to understand some of these challenges.
1: So that, that that's very very interesting because what you're talking about is then is, is how we live, and I'm very interested in in the area of the work you're doing with increasing urbanisation and populations living in smaller spaces. Mm-hmm. It's it's. It's an overused word, but it's, it seems to me that we are increasingly living under more stress the way we are living, um, either in terms of our housing or in terms of, you know, um, uh, living alone, mm-hmm. are increasing our stress uh, levels, which are then uh, leading towards potential mental health issues. Is, is that something you agree, uh, agree with? And if so, how do we de-stress? How do we create a world which is not feeling this level of stress.
0: So in broad terms, I agree with, uh, with the premise that you set out. I can, I can definitely see that. And, but, and, and of course, we need to look at those parts of the world where this kind of stress has been managed for some time. For example, in big cities like Karachi. Karachi has you know, 20 million people, plus, minus, already residing in it. Most of the people living there are on what are, what are usually called daily wage. In other words, they're only making enough money to be able to produce the food for that day. And then you go to the next day and it all starts again. So that relentlessness, what is really creating the stress? And of course, if any extra costs come into their lives, for example, the need to go to a doctor or something like that, then the relentlessness is even greater. That kind of example, just there as a kind of background illustration that some people in our global population are already in combat with these kinds of issues, to some extent, quite seriously. Coming to to the central point that you're making there, I think the whole question of how we organize ourselves is going to be pretty important. So for example, a city that is well-designed and allows for what you might call natural organization. In other words, a a city that's well-designed encourages populations to go in and out of their house or their dwelling, be part of a green space, in an environment which people respect as being a place where everyone could enjoy so long as it's not destroyed in some way, like graffiti or vandalism. If people can understand that design is not just a nice to have, but increasingly as populations rise, it's going to be an essential to have, then I think we are working towards one of the precepts of a better quality of life in a highly populated area. That would be an example. Another example, of course, and this may sound a bit dry or a bit kind of same as, same old, would be the question of education. People need to understand that good, good treatment of mental illness is not just about the diagnosis and the treatment, be it talking therapy or be it pharmacological, although they're important. Good treatment also relates to whether people have access to housing, police or law enforcement, Understand what mental illness is as opposed to simply abusive behavior, for example, on the street, and indeed uh, many other aspects of uh, civic life as well as work life. Because indeed, if um, employers don't understand mental illness, again, there's going to be a problem for the people who may have a mental illness from time to time in the workplace. So, there needs to be a collective approach, a multi stakeholder approach to understand this that's then when you start to get to what I would call just seeking a different terminology for currency. I would, I would be looking for quality of life, qual factors. And it seems to me that most of the work that I've done, going right the way back to 1978, right the way up to today, with Cities Rise, is looking for quality of life, and the indicators that demonstrate to us that we have moved from, for example, a lower base in quality of life to a higher base. That would be the kind of thing that I'd be looking for.
1: Uh, so that, that, that's absolutely fascinating. And some of the other uh, discussions we've had on this podcast, we've come down to this issues of kind of of, of measurement, and everybody's kind of agreed that the kind of GDP or the FTSE one hundred as an indicator of how your society is performing isn't isn't really fit for purpose mm-hmm. in, uh, as an indicator. And lots of people will talk about um, the, the quality of life. So having new measurements that we um, See as important mm-hmm. seems to be you know, crucial in terms of how we move forward in, in in any new economy, and these have to come in. Mm-hmm. I'm interested, though, in your um, point about how we design uh, towns and cities given the increasing populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who is it in in your mind is, is 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 driving that? Is this is this the role of of, of government? Is it, is it is it government responsibility? Mm -hmm. Um, A number of people I would speak to would say, well, you know, it's our responsibility and leave it to the market. And when we begin to understand things like quality of life, we will sort the cities out. I'm I'm, I'm interested in where you see the the drivers for this change coming from.
0: If we were to sort of construct a kind of baseline in the air, you know, just between the two of us, just thinking quickly on our feet. the, these are some of the, this is my contribution to, the, to your question in the sense that I think I think for the moment, the, cities, the city, if you prefer harking back to old, old days, the city-state, the city seems to me to be a good size for us to operate at, as distinct from the nation. Um, and obviously the nation is composed of a number of cities anyway. The city seems to me to be a good kind of place to start. Because within a city you would have civic leadership, good, bad and indifferent of course, elected or unelected. So you've got a civic uh, leadership, you've got an employer leadership, the employers of that particular city are incredibly important. You've got important drivers within civil society which I would particularly single out women who often have tremendous drive and then I would also single out young people for the same reasons actually and obviously one would then think about ways of reaching those young people sporting associations would be an example and so you quite quickly uh, reach this concept of multi-stakeholder work and then how does the multi stakeholder initiative or the collective action then get driven towards the stated goal of better mental health in our city, our city, wherever it may be in the world. That then requires leadership. There's no question about that. And Anyone who has worked in the field of social entrepreneurship would favor models that favor leadership um, or would be predisposed to models that favor leadership. And, of course, it doesn't only have to come from the top, the apex down to the bottom. It isn't those of us who work in social entrepreneurship know That is just one of a number of leadership models. Um, And so uh, it seems to me that as we frame activities in big cities, for example, if we frame activities in big cities, we, who are the facilitators of these ideas, but not the implementers of them in that city, we need to be aware of where the leadership is, particularly amongst the young, then help to create the spark to animate in the literal sense the spark so as to be able to, to see the leadership take off i've seen that in in a number of diff- on a number of different occasions in a number of different organisations that i've created
1: i would agree strongly with you certainly about young people and seeing young people who are have just taking on leadership roles and and being absolutely brilliant yeah. also agree with you about about the role of women um also uh, grabbing leadership roles and also having greater empathy, I think, in, within their communities. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I'm on the same page as you there, but I'm interested, you know, we, we as social entrepreneurs will often talk about, you know, our ideals and, and how we might organize things going forward, but there's still a crisis of leadership in the world, particularly at the moment in politics. Mm. So, you know, again, I'm kind of wondering in, in the mix here, you know, where, where is government is, in, in a new economy in this world? Are we living now in a, what some people term as a post-democratic age and we have to sort some things out and the role of government actually changes and maybe it becomes smaller and maybe there are city states, as you suggest, and not national countries and so on and so forth. What's your kind of feel for where our representative politicians might be in terms of this area of leadership?
0: So coming to the question of where is political leadership and so on and so forth, many of the countries that I've worked in, Mel, um, never had fully democratic leadership anyway, and certainly not in a Western context. Uh, But all of the countries I've worked in have had leadership, and they've all had leadership from a number of different parts of what you might call the constellation of leadership. including the grassroots mentioned women's organizations or women and women's organizations and we've mentioned young people's organizations the sporting organizations and so on so i've always seen leadership being present even if i haven't always seen democratic leadership Um, and so that would be perhaps an important uh, distinction to make when it comes to political democratic leadership it seems to me that at the moment the best people are not going into politics anymore. The best people are going into either business because they see it as a... As a and, I, and I don't mean that they just see it as a way of making money, although, of course, that's true. But they also see it as the best way of giving leadership. Um, and, of course, a certain number of people every year are going into social enterprise or social entrepreneurship. Um, and we've seen the growth of our own world industry, if you prefer, um, as, um, as we've got older, um, and certainly I've seen so many young people now move into social entrepreneurship, speaking to you now, as you know, in the UK, but, but I'll be in, at Stanford in a few weeks' time talking to a class of so, young social entrepreneurs, and, um, and they want to know how to do it, <laughs> and, and, you know, I can contribute to that knowledge you know so we're now we're now a subject we're now a field of endeavor and that's important as social entrepreneurs i happen to have worked mostly in the field of health but as social entrepreneurs we are now a field of endeavor and that is in itself something which is different to maybe when i was a young guy
1: yes so so that's very interesting i i agree with you um a number of points there i mean first of all i think that um uh, talent isn't going into politics anymore because, I mean, in some some senses, you would ask, well, why would you? Because you're continually under this kind of microscope apparently all the time. Mm. Um, uh, but also, you can't necessarily get things done. So people yeah, are moving to it. business. Yeah. Talent, yeah. talent goes to business. And talent is coming into the social uh, enterprise, social entrepreneur space. There's no doubt. I remember, obviously, I started um, uh, many years ago as well with you. When this the whole area was was wasn't really talked about or known about, mm. and seeing some of the brilliant people who are now joining this sector or movement or whatever you want to call it, and mm. it's, it's it's I think it's a very very exciting time.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I I'd agree with you about that 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 strongly. And indeed, um, I'm I'm going to New York, and this is happening all over the world. I'm in New York next week at the Schwab get together, Schwab Foundation, getting social entrepreneurs together. Um, and for sure the energy levels will be huge and there'll be all sorts of sparking ideas going on, Mm. uh, as you'll be aware. Um, So um, it's all positive, I think, in this space, but but there's so much negativity also. It's almost like there's a contradiction. As soon as you say, hey, there's all of this going on, um, new leaders emerging, positive uh, enterprises, uh, uh, which are sustainable, and applicable around the world occurring. It, the, the opposite is true. It seems that, um, you know, the that, that that number of people moving towards war, very nationalistic, very individualistic at, 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 the, at the same time. I and mean, is that something you pick up on as well?
0: Yes, yeah, sure. Um, it might be worth making a distinction here between government and politicians. Because one of the things that i 'm i've been aware of over the years is that working as a social entrepreneur, depending on the organization that and subject matter that I was working on at the time, um, there was often a dearth of models available to government to actually adopt and implement one of the things that 's really important about our our sector of social entrepreneurship social enterprise is that we can is that we can pick up a new, a new way of working, a new model, we can design and pick up a new way of working, and then deliberately pass that across to government for their own benefit. I'm an advisor, for example, to a terrific organization, the Hummingbird Foundation, which is working on a model for anti-trafficking. And um, one of the most important things there is that the, the model eventually has to become useful a range of organizations, including uh, local government and government. Um, and so tailoring models so as to be useful to government is important. Then finally, but not least, getting politicians who are part of government in many countries to um, feel positive about those models is the final kind of drive which uh, I think is important for social entrepreneurship to adopt. But we have to understand that uh, governments are not likely to pick up our modeling and politicians are certainly not likely to be interested in our modeling unless we can be of use to them. So there has to be this kind of synergistic approach, the synergy uh, for it to be effective. So social entrepreneurs can't afford to play around in their own little world.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I, I think that that's so true, and that's a, a very good point. I mean, one of the the, the areas I've been looking at here is that. Um, it, it's not only that social entrepreneurs uh, can create enterprises that are sustainable and move forward, they can create whole new concepts. So, the concept of fair trade, for example, the concept of microfinance, for example. Yeah. But they're not connecting. So, we, we, we work in our own space, and, and one of the discussions for sure in New York um, is going to come up is, is how we grow the sector significantly. And immediately there's a tension within the the social entrepreneurs with some of them saying, no, it's an imperative that we get global. And others saying, no, that's exactly what we don't want to do. We need to really focus on our local. Um, And so there'll be some very interesting discussions. But I agree strongly with you um, in terms of the leadership area that that social entrepreneurs need to be in this more collaborative or collegiate approach, as you you said. A lot of politicians, to be fair, they, they are kind of, seen by the public as the worst of everything, politicians. But actually, a lot of them, they go into politics because they want to create change in society. They go in for the right reasons. Exactly. Uh, and so creating alliances with them can be quite good. The, the, the challenge, though, is that they go in for the right reasons, but then the outcomes aren't particularly uh, good. They seem to kind of you know, have to take uh, party politics uh, um, uh, positions and then kind of move to their own convictions. Yeah. So the whole area is 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 is, is, is fascinating. And as the social entrepreneur sector grows, so the potential grows, but also the potential for making huge errors here and, and the work that we've done gets lost. And yeah. what, what's your what's your thoughts on that?
0: Well organizations that um uh, become very attracted to the idea of scale can lose their way. Um, yeah. you know so you have you have organizations that are essentially originally grassroots based and grassroots organizations usually uh, not always but usually derive their strength from uh, particular communities uh, seeing the way forward and believing in the model that's being proposed at that grassroots level and of course they then are encouraged to furnish their own energy and their own ideas And uh, as a result of that, the project or program or the benefit back to the community is seen um, in substantial terms and is much enjoyed by that local community. Trying to repeat that ad nauseum time and time again, time and time again, uh, is an incredibly expensive business because effectively trying to repeat the effect of a properly ignited animated local community that then grow that particular project then the next and then the next is only one kind of going to scale really <laughs> Yeah, and it's, an, and it's an expensive one uh, because essentially you've got to try uh, you know secure the funding however you do that through commercial law or charitable means or, or government grant-based means you basically are starting each time from scratch go to the next level each time from scratch to go to the next level now of course that's not the only form of scaling I appreciate that but it is certainly uh, in the in the in the realm of community development often the case that organizations get stuck into that particular kind of rut now it may well be that the model itself that they were working on and the the uh, component parts of that model are really important and are important for a whole range of actors to understand and adopt including local authority and government but it may not be necessary for the organization itself to scale it may be more important to share the benefit of the model and the best way of accounting it evaluating it and monitoring it and so organizations and indeed so individual leaders social entrepreneurs may not necessarily be the best people to scale their own organization and so Quite a lot of humility is required <laughs> in this <laughs> in this department uh, for us to be able to understand that it may require some other kind of leader figure to take the organisation to the next step. A couple of points that, in that, there. That,
1: that's so interesting about the, the humility. I mean, because it's you know we talk about social entrepreneurs. Uh, you're one. You build your organisation. It's your life. It's your passion. And then you're kind of saying, "Well, actually, I'm going to give this away and mm. values and so on." That's quite hard for any in, any individual, isn't it?
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think you probably know me, in, uh, Mel, as it were, outside of this discussion. So you know that um, that's exactly what I have done a number of times. You know, whether it's with Thrive or with ADD, Add International, or Basic Needs. and and indeed a number of other organizations I have grown them to what I would consider to be the optimum and then uh, by uh, agreement of the board and with their full support we have then moved me out of the organization and another person in and I would say that most of the organizations that are running successfully today that I founded are probably running more successfully than if I had stayed and run them
1: (laughs) <laughs> but but that but I, I I don't know whether that's true or not, uh, Chris. Oh, but it's great that you can true. you can say that because yeah. the, the the trait of the social entrepreneur generally is the word entrepreneur. So very very good at uh, uh, identifying a need in social uh, social enterprise based a social outcome potentially building something. Um, but the nature of the entrepreneurs, they're not necessarily that great ma- a manager. And right, so well, I think really that's right. Yeah, I, that, that, that's the kind of trait. But some of them will stay in their organizations far too long. Yeah, that will be I true mean. in the business world as well, I
0: guess. And, of course, there are many characteristics which uh, link us to the business world, link our own sector to the, to the business sector. And one of those is, um, the, particularly when it comes to founders of businesses or founders of social enterprises, uh, you know, the individuals can stay too long. There's no question about that. Uh, they uh, Social enterprise boards generally or so and be they registered as charities or foundations or companies um, are generally less well developed in terms of having a clear management structure around the chief executive or the founder and assisting them to make do their best and then helping them to move on unaggressive aggressive way when it 's actually um, helpful for them to do that so in my own example i 've had to actually Take those initiatives myself and it's just simply being part of my value set that I've wanted to do it that way um, and also that I've wanted to askew the you know the, the possibility of my actually uh, going beyond my competence.
1: You know hats off to you because I suspect in terms of the outcomes uh, of everything you're doing that it's, it's considerably more than if you just stayed within the one organization actually so your contribution has been enormous. And uh, so credit for you for taking that line, but it couldn't have been easy each time.
0: No, I liken it to, if the, if the health, if, if the organization's healthy, I liken it to meaning it's got enough money and it's, it's got a, a vision and it's heading in a particular direction. I liken it to, you know, the social entrepreneur, me, you know, I jump off the ship, which is the organization. I jump off the ship into the water. I adjust myself start to uh, swim gently towards the shore. I look over my shoulder at the ship and I realize it's disappearing over the horizon and it's perfectly all right. And
1: <laughs> 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 Full steam ahead. I mean that's, 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 that's a, a win for you, a big win to see it disappearing, even growing, even getting faster without you yes. I guess. Yeah, yeah, but then absolutely. you build another boat. <laughs>
0: And so you're right, because uh, the social on- the, the phrase "social entrepreneur," I definitely am an entrepreneur in that sense, that I, I do like to address uh, new issues or new ways of um, tackling old issues, you know, one or the other. Um, and that's certainly what keeps me going quite happily at the age of 69, 70 in November. Um, you know, I'm quite happy to continue uh, working in that way, and indeed. Increasingly, Mel um, encouraging others to do that. Um, yeah, I think so is important.
1: that's a fascinating point as well. Back to the kind of leadership again question in, in, in this new world. Mm. People have said to, to me before, and it's a compliment, I don't know whether it's, it's, it's true, of our sector that the social entrepreneurs are the, uh, are the leaders of the future. Mm. They're the people mm. who have respect, and, and, and people will follow them because in leaders, as you know, require followers. But if, if that's true and I'm not, I don't know whether it is, it's just nice when people say that is okay. How are we as social entrepreneurs connecting with one another? If we are a leadership kid leader that's coming forward, that has a certain values that believes the world could be organized a very different way, Yeah. aren't we really kind of very isolated anyway in doing our own thing and we don't really connect with one another. So, it's, it's a bit of a fallacy. We just do our own thing. There's not, there's not this new movement emerging.
0: It's probably patchy. Mel. I mean, I, uh, you know, we've mentioned the Shrub Foundation already, which certainly does an important job in trying to bring people together from time to time. Um, you and I both know Ashoka well, the Ashoka Fellowship, and that's yeah. another example. Yeah. And of course, yeah. there are other examples. Uh, I'm a social entrepreneur from Skull, for example, the Skull Foundation. And so, yeah there are now organizations and associations which do their best to bring people together share their ideas and to share their fellowship in the literal sense so um, it's patchy and that not all of those uh, cover everybody for example Um, and you know that they and they are obviously inevitably limited by the resources that those organizations have and so on But I think there are other ways. I mean, um, this particular podcast that you're doing is another example of bringing people together by a different means and sharing ideas and then putting them out there. And so I think we're getting, I think we're quite adept as a sector at sharing our ideas, partly because the currency, going right back to your introduction uh, to this discussion, in a sense, and this is in quotation marks, the currency that we work with is the value of our ideas to society, we hope. And so we have had to become good communicators over the years. Um, there's a joke uh, which various of my staffs have had over the years, which is that if I get into a lift or an elevator with an individual, by the time we've got to the top of the building, they have had the full the full pitch. Um, and, um, and, that I, and, you know, if I sit on an aeroplane, the poor... The poor person sitting next to me (laughs) (laughs) hasn't got a chance. (laughs) Uh, Let alone, yeah, I'm laughing because I know (laughs) you know that. You know that. Yeah, I know this experience. (laughs) Yes, of course. That doesn't mean to say we're necessarily good marketeers in the normal sense, but it's certainly true that we're we're natural communicators. I think Um, you know whether we're shy people or gregarious people we're still natural communicators about our subject, about our passion. So, we, so our yes, passion I think I the end is about linking our passion to our communication, yes, or
1: something like that. Yes, the key word to me that you're saying here is passion, because I think, as you say, even if you're a shy person, if you're really passionate about what you're doing, what you believe in, then you'll communicate it well. Um, we're probably coming to the end now, but, but um, I think probably I could speak to you for, for, for hours around this, because I, I think that you're... Talking about some of the fundamentals here in, 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 in this numism that we, we, we're we're creating. Mm-hmm. Certainly about um, you know, mental well-being, how we how we live together, um, uh, 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 leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of the, the economy generally, though, we, we 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 are driven now by a global economy, which you know 10 years ago kind of almost went completely belly up and, and, and everybody suffered uh, commentators will say it's going to happen again do you have a view on on how we deal with the issues of of, of, of finance and currency do we need to rethink entirely our relationship with actual money and and, and how we how we how we use it and, and how it's circulated
0: well I, I don't have a full view um but here are some fragments uh, fragments i would i imagine but one of the things is I think that we have to find a way of, I'm going to play on words deliberately. Um, here we have to find a way of of creating a currency which values community contribution in some way. Um, because certainly if you go back to my current interest in mental illness, the currency there has got to be both understanding and also practical help. Mentally, ill people need others to be empathic but they also need others to be practical so that the uh, so that the uh, condition that they're suffering from is both understood but the issues that they find themselves in life often loneliness often poverty um, and often misunderstanding uh, can be dealt with sensibly uh, one to time at the level at which those people actually live and so that's a kind of currency which is not much available and needs to be certain of increased and developed further. So uh, this then brings us back, I think, to one of the central themes of our discussion, which has been the quality of life of people. And until we can find a way of making that numeric in some sense, if it helps us to understand it, I'm not myself requiring that actually, but it may be very helpful for others to understand that at a numerical level, if we can find that kind of empathic quality of life and uh, give that a kind of value in life, then I think that would be very helpful. Now this of course ties to discussions that are going on now, which suggest that maybe, and this of course applies more to northern countries than to southern, but it suggests though that if every member of the population were paid a kind of life wage, that they would then be able to uh, live happily and above the uh, poverty line and then be able to make contributions it seems to me that there's a golden opportunity there tied to the 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 tryst the, the relationship between those who have the money the government in this case and the population who might receive that money on an annual life wage it seems to me that into that has to come another norm, which is about what it is that we do for society, for each other uh, in receipt of such a benefit. Now, you know, even if that is not the final outcome of your discussions with others over the life of your podcast, it seems to me quality of life is going to be one thing by itself and certainly means of being able to fund that, and make it rational, uh, also very important.
1: So that's a fascinating way. I think we have to to, to, to finish now. Um, quality of life and how we measure it as a as a contribution to the to our new economy. It certainly will be a, a, a major plank. So uh, I'm very very grateful for your time. I know you're busy and doing all sorts of things, um, and it's fantastic. And um, we will see each other soon for sure. And um, I much appreciate your time, Chris. Thanks very much indeed.
0: It's great, um, both Alexander and Mel. Great to be with you both, and also. Um, Wish you well in New York. Do do I wasn't able to go on this occasion, so do, uh, if you'd be kind enough, convey my best wishes.
1: So we'll miss you, and but I'll certainly pass on your, your, your best wishes for sure. Thanks, Chris. Thank that best. was absolutely great. Thank you very much. For Chris, a newism puts quality of life and empathy at its core. We'd love to hear, as ever, whether you agree. So
0: please do get in touch via Twitter, at Newism Talks, or via our website, newismtalks.com. We have another exciting guest lined up for next week, so we hope to see you there.